and we're actually going to sing Rattle again. We sang it last week. We introduced it to you guys, and JP had a message about it. Um, but we want to sing it again because it's such an awesome, amazing song. So here we go. Anytime soon. For resurrection. Right. 
Lord, we just thank you. God, we thank you for just all of the blessings, Lord, that you've given to us throughout this week. God, we just thank you that we can come to you today and we can praise you and we can worship you. And God, I pray that each one of us is expecting something from you today, God, that we came here ready and expecting your presence and the spirit to move in us, God. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you, Jesus.
says where the Spirit of God is, there's freedom. But freedom means different things to different people. Some people are dealing with some bondage, some self-inflicted issues. Freedom for them means that they have release themselves those from those things that have they've been allowed to be part of them lives their lives that are holding them back for others who are dealing with some physical issues freedom from pain means healing deliverance and 
as we were singing this song about the favor of God going before us and behind us and all around us and God's presence being multiplied in our lives. There is a freedom that God wants to be part of our lives. what you're struggling with right now. I just sense God is trying to do something still right now. And so um, we're going to sing this again. And if you need prayer for anything, if you feel like God is, is moving on you, wants to set you free in an area, I'm going to invite you to come and, uh, and uh, we will anoint you, we'll pray over you. honor what the Spirit's trying to do here this morning. So let's continue worshiping here just for a little longer. Thank you.
seated. We are uh, so thankful to uh, have you out with us, and uh, we are, um, for those of you who have children, you no- should have noticed coming in, uh, all of our kids are directly across from us now. Uh, we're we're uh, bringing them to this upper area. It's just going to make it so much easier for us to coordinate with uh, uh, families and people coming in, and so we're excited about that, and praise God. Uh, Today, I've titled this sermon, um, Break My Heart, Lord. Now, doesn't that make you just feel good? How many of you have ever prayed that way? Lord, break my heart. (laughs) Uh, How many of you are detail people? (laughs) How many of you read, you know, they have all those preliminary 
um, pieces of information before you're supposed to sign a contract. How many of you actually read over all those? I know there are a few of you in there. Um, I just scroll through and hit accept, and, and, <laughs> and then you come, then they remind you a few weeks later, well, you agreed to this. And I know, I know, I know, that's why you have to read them. That's why I have my wife there, and she reads all those documents, and she makes sure that, you know, I'm not signing, you know, away my, you know, first child and, you know, second grand, <laughs> second grandchild or something like that, you know. Um, but I feel like as followers of Christ that that's what we've done. We just put this, we just hit the accept button. We say, I agree. <laughs> and then as we start reading through the word, we're thinking, eh, I don't like that piece. Have any of you here read something that God's word instructed you to do and you didn't like to hear it and ignored it? <laughs> I, I mean, let, let's, let's be honest. There are times that... Um, God asks us to do something that is difficult. Some people say that it is easy to be a Christian. I tell you it's easy to be a sinner. <laughs> I tell you it's easy not to have any guiding principles in your life. But if you are going to, if you're going to be a true disciple of Christ, if you're going to be an individual who wants to be identified with Christ and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, at the very end of your journey... It means you are making a decision to apply the things that you read in the Bible to your life. They're not optional. God did not give us this book, uh, this, uh, this book of 66 different books to guide and direct us. It is, the, it is literally the guidebook for our lives to give us instruction and insight and hope. There is more parenting advice in the scriptures than any, any other good self-help book out there. How many of you know that? You know, we have, in our family, the Bible has been our primary means of education regarding our children their whole lives. Now, we made a, a conscious decision years ago. We, we homeschooled our kids. Um, and it was not because we had this uh, adverse reaction to the public school. We just knew... When they were in our own educational arena, we got to control the things that they understood were truth. We also got to reinforce the biblical principles that God's Word brought to us. And so we were constantly adding those pieces to their lives, and they know God's Word now. You know what? When, when our children made a decision to follow Christ, it was their decision. They had to, we never coaxed them into doing it. They had to make that decision because we knew when they stood before God on the day of judgment, it doesn't matter what mom and dad said. It matters what decisions they made. And so I, I want you to understand that the Bible is more than just um, uh, something that God has given us to put on our coffee table. The Bible is more than something than just that we can just say, hey, man, I, I, I read it. Um, they, they have done surveys, and they said that the average Christian reads no more than a verse to a paragraph 
of the Bible a day, the average Christian. Now, let's, let's break that down just for a minute. How many of you eat more than um, a, an apple a day? Okay, I do. I, I like food. Scripture says that God's Word is our source of food, our sustenance. You know, going back into the book of Jeremiah, you know, Jeremiah said, Thy word was found and I did consume it, and thy word became to me the joy and rejoicing of my soul. God, God's word literally sustained him. You know, Jesus, when he was being tempted, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God's word is a sustainer of life. And so we need to be individuals that are committed to it. And that's why as we're going through these Beatitudes, and, and I'm intentionally only going through one at a time. And, and I know that it is normal many times for people just to go through the whole, um, all of them in one sitting. And, and as, I, as I go through them, I realize, wow, there's so much more that we can get if we would just slow down. Um. <laughs> One of, the, one of the greatest uh, series I ever heard preach uh, was an old pastor of mine that um, he talked about um, when we consume the Word of God, it's supposed to be similar to a cow chewing its cud. Now, how many are you familiar with cows? Okay. So, uh, <laughs> I know this is before we eat lunch. Praise God, you got a couple hours before you eat, you know. And, um, but a, a cow will begin to chew it's cud, and um, he'll swallow it, and then he'll bring it back up and chew it for a little longer. And it, that, that cow literally will get every ounce of uh, nutrient out of that grass before it's done. And uh, it's amazing because, you know, we, we love, how many love a good steak? You know, well, we, we can enjoy a good steak because the cow be, believes in getting the most nutrient possible out of the food that it eats. It's just, now, now you look at a pig. <laughs> a pig will consume whatever you put in front of it in great quantities. The pig has no idea that it's just, you know, amassing this size just to be eaten. It really has no idea. And, and it doesn't really care what you feed it. It just will eat. But a cow is very selective. They will eat grass, and they will continue to do that. Um, and they, are, they make sure they get the best out of what they're eating. That's what we should be like as a believer, as a Christian. As an individual who knows how to take one verse, and you could read that one verse 30 times, 40 times a day for a week and still get something out of it. That's what it should be like. We have to take time and allow it to get deeper into our lives. The second beatitude that we're going to cover is, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Jesus is calling his followers to a process of sorrow. That's not one of those things that just makes you feel good about being a Christian, is it? But sorrow for what? Sorrow for sins. Sorrow for the sins of our churches. 
Sorrow for the sins of our communities. Sorrow for the sins of a nation. God wants us to know what sorrow is all about. To experience grief regarding the things that are going on in our lives and what they are doing to us. Um, Jesus is saying to be a follower of His, we need to have an understanding of what it means to experience sorrow because we have sinned. Now, how many of you have ever felt bad because you did something wrong? But how many of you did anything about that feeling bad? See, we equate feeling bad to sorrow. But feeling bad is not sorrow. Feeling bad really doesn't even get to the, the, the root of what sorrow is all about. See, it, in order for us to understand the, the mourning process over our sins, it requires us to have empathy for the sins of others as well. Now, if I were to run out there and I would have all of you pull out your wallets and I would take your wallets, you would, you would be upset. Now, what if I went out there and, and only took Tristan's wallet? Some of you would have empathy for Tristan because Tristan now is without something that is important to him, his wallet. You know, we you know, have all of our valuables there. And so you would feel empathy there, and it would make you, many times, for some individuals I should say, they would want to respond to help Tristan because I took his wallet. So when we are dealing with the, the fullness of this verse, there needs to be a thought process that says that um, not only am I, 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 do I experience sorrow for myself, which we'll get deeper into in a minute, but I also feel it for those around me, those that make mistakes. So that means when someone makes a mistake, when someone sins in your presence or against you, or against someone you love, that our first reaction needs to be this process of empathy, of grieving for them. Because even though it may have affected us, that, the reality is their sin is going to have a greater effect on them. And so if we can somehow begin to change our thought process on how we approach the topic of, of mourning for our sins, grieving for the things that we've done wrong. See, I, I understand more about what grief is like now than I ever have. And, and I've, I've sat with a lot of families, a lot of individuals who have lost a loved one. But, you know, this, you know, last year I lost a gr very close person in my life. And, and she, uh, when she died, I experienced grief like I've never felt before. You know, when my dad died, I, I felt grief, but there was a celebration also because I had led him to the Lord. But when this, when this woman, uh, this friend of mine died, I felt such a grief of loss because she already knew the Lord. And, um, and so as I was 
dealing with this, I, I understood grief at a different level, a different depth. And really it opened my eyes up to a lot of other things that we've been shielded from, that I've been shielded from because of how I've, um, how I've dealt with my own emotional state, how I've dealt with my own uh, walls and barriers that I've built so that it, it keeps you from feeling the full weight of something. Do you realize that you can build walls up around yourself that prevent you from feeling the full weight of our own sin? We can make it feel like, well, you know, I'm sorry it happened. And then we come to a point where it's like, well, it's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. As if that's a good reason to do it. You know, I I remember, and... Please, I'm not getting on anybody for their speeding. I still, I, I make, you know, I do this as well at different times, and it's something that still God convicts me of. Um, speeding. How many of you speed? <laughs> so, why is speeding wrong? It's against the law. Somebody decided that <laughs> these roads are supposed to have this, this certain speed, you know, or driven on. So, um, so we deal with, we have these laws that have been created by man that say, listen, this is, we don't want you to drive faster than this on these roads. Okay. And then there's other laws out there. Stealing. There's laws against stealing. We should not steal. Tristan, I wouldn't have stole your wallet. You know that, right? So, there's laws against stealing. Um, there's laws against, you know, um, hurting somebody. You know what? You don't have the right just to go up and hurt somebody because you want to. You, know, you don't have. But even though the, the society has made laws that give some parameters for function, we appreciate that at times. Because we like it when a society is able to operate um, with a level of safety. It brings security. But God's Word actually gives some other laws. Number one, it says that the laws of your society, that you should obey them as long as those laws don't violate the law of God. So God says we are to honor the laws that are made in our society as long as they don't violate God's law. So anytime um, man makes a law that violates God, we are to ignore those things. And, and that does mean that there may, be, there may be a punishment that comes upon us because of that. And we have to be ready to accept that. As a follower of Christ, we say, listen, it's better to obey Jesus than man in those areas. But in our society today, because of these things and because we don't allow the the weight of these um, situations to fully impact us, we, we start losing a grasp on the weight of our sin. Now, if you get a ticket, you feel the weight of that speeding violation. For a period of time. And then if you get another ticket and then another and you get so many, then they take your license for a period of time. And then you're really feeling the weight of that sin. See, 
Because God doesn't enact punishment the way man does. We don't always experience the pain of our sin in the same way. Now, I'm glad that God, God is gracious. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad that God doesn't just, you know, open up the heavens and strike us with lightning every time we make a mistake. Uh, you understand what I mean? But that doesn't remove the responsibility that is on me to begin to understand what my own sin is doing and to grieve it. And, and I find it important that as Jesus is going through the Beatitudes, that the second thing that he deals with for his followers is that they need to have a mindset that embraces a process of mourning for their sins. Grieving the mistakes that they do against God. This verse could be looked at as blessed are those who repent of their sins and feel empathy with those who are likewise struggling with sin. See, repentance brings a whole other aspect into this process of mourning for our sin. And we'll get more into that in a minute, but I just want us to understand that this, this whole process of grieving and, and, and understanding what Jesus was trying to uh, impart to his followers really dealt with a process of transformation, taking the, the individual from who they are currently to being in line with what a follower with Christ is supposed to be. And that's why it is so important that each one of us begin to apply these different principles to our lives because God is wanting to take us closer to what a true disciple looks like. Now, as I began to investigate the process of mourning in the Old Testament, how many of you have ever heard of the tearing of one's clothes in grief? You know, during the Old Testament, when, when someone was in, mid, in, in the midst of great grief, they literally would, would rend their garment, they would tear it. And, and in tearing it, it was a symbolic act of the pain that was going on in their heart. As I read through the scriptures on this, uh, Genesis 37, 29 talked about when Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. A short time later, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days when he thought that Joseph had been killed. So mourning, this tearing, this rending, also was for the grief of loss that he was experiencing for his son. The process of grieving also involves sometimes the shaving of one's head, throwing dust on oneself, wearing sackcloth, all these different things. In, in the Old Testament, there was, there was a, a, a clothing process that was worn in the midst of times of grief. And as I read about this more, I came to a passage out of Jeremiah 36, where... A prophet, Jeremiah, had come to King Jehoiakim and had brought, God had given him a word and he wrote it on a scroll and brought it to the king. 
And in verse 23, it says the king listened to the first part of the prophecy. But then he took a knife, cut the scroll in pieces, and burned it. Verse 24 says, Then the king and all of his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. And, and the prophet Jeremiah was coming with a word from God talking about God's dis, dislike of what was happening in the community. He was calling them to a time of repentance, and they ignored it. And it brought God's judgment upon them. See, that's one of the things as I was reading about this more. If we do not learn to mourn for our sins and the sins of our communities and the sins of our families and the sins of our nation, if we don't learn to mourn these things, then what we do is we bring the judgment of God into our lives and into our communities. We as a church are called to do those things. We can do it. Joel chapter 2.13 says, Rend your heart and not your garments. There was a process that God was taking His people through that it was not about the tearing of the clothing, but it was about the tearing of our hearts. And that's why as I titled this, you know, Break My Heart, Lord, I, it is my desire that, that my heart be so soft that I can experience the fullness of what God has for me. But it means that I'm going to have to look at my own actions, my own sins in a different light. So today I'd like to challenge us with three things that this verse really um, teaches us that we can implement into our lives that will help us. Number one is to grieve. What does it mean to grieve? In a very literal sense, it means to acknowledge to address that which has brought us sorrow. So when we are grieving for our sins, we are actually acknowledging that we have sinned. The mistakes that we have made. The things that we have done wrong. Are you ready to have a good sit-down conversation with your spouse, with a friend, and say, listen, I have sinned against God. And um, I need to talk about it. I need to get this out. I need to deal with it. I, I don't want it to be kept in silence anymore because the enemy wants you to just say, it's no big deal. <laughs> and God's saying, I want you to grieve over this because Scripture says that sin separates from God. That God cannot look upon sin. And so every time that we enter into a sin process, it is as if we are, are intentionally shielding God's view from us because God can't look on us. And, and how many of you want to push God away? I don't. But in essence, that's what we're doing. We're saying, God, don't look at me right now. <laughs> um, I don't want your presence here. Because I'm wanting to indulge my flesh. I, I'm wanting to indulge um, my desires. And that's a hard place to be. Now, we would never openly tell God that. But what we, that's what we do when we choose to sin. If we don't learn to grieve, 
How, if we don't learn to acknowledge and address that which has brought us sorrow, how are we ever going to deal with it? Have you ever thought about what breaks the heart of God? Hillsong uh, uh, sings a song called Hosanna, and I'll go through the words. I'm going to save you here. I, was, I had prepared to sing it for you, but um, I'm just kidding you all. Um, but the words say, I see the King of glory coming on the clouds with fire. The whole earth shakes. The whole earth shakes. I see his love and mercy washing over our sin. The people sing. The people sing. Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. I see a generation rising up to take their place with selfless faith. With selfless faith. I see near revival. Stirring as we pray and seek. We're on our knees. We're on our knees. Heal my heart and make it clean. Open up my eyes to these things unseen. Show me how to love like you have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. This whole concept of breaking my heart for what breaks yours. See, if we want to truly experience God's presence in our life, we need to pray that God would break our heart in such a way that we understand what brings Him pain. The reality of this statement is that we must have a desire to see things the way God sees them. Do you want to see your life under the scope of God's vision? Do you want to really know everything that you're doing that brings Him pain? Are you willing to shine the light of God's gaze on the secret places of your heart? Are you willing to allow God's light to illuminate the hidden things of darkness that are present in our own lives? How many of you have a closet that you throw everything into or a space that is just packed full of all the things that you just don't want to deal with? We have those. When uh, we were, I was moving my mom out of her house and I got into her attic. That was a scary place. To know that she hadn't opened these boxes, some of them in 30 years that she'd been in that house. I mean, I'm pulling stuff out. I'm thinking, this is just wrong. <laughs> and, and I had to get rid of it all so that we could, you know, move her out of this house. And I'm thinking, it just better just leave it there. No one's ever going to know what's there. <laughs> but I, as I thought about this message this week, there, there are areas in our life that we like shielding that way. You know what, I, we've all had issues where maybe there's an area we are weak towards and we have, God helps us to overcome for a period of time and, and sometimes what we do is we keep a remnant of it hidden in the back recesses of our life so that if we ever decide. Um, I remember when I was in youth group, we used to have these burning parties where people would bring the things that uh, bring addiction to their life, whether it was music or, you know, whatever it was for them. 
Um, and we'd bring them to church and burn them, you know. Uh, and uh, they were powerful times. And, and someone said, you know, during one of those things, um, well, why don't you just sell that stuff and make some money off of it? And it's like, if we're acknowledging that this is an area of sin, should we go out and sell our sin to somebody else because it may not be a problem for them? <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> we shouldn't. We should get rid of those things. And that is a difficult thing for people to realize. I, man, I just... It is, it is something, I think, in this day and age that we are living, church, that God wants us to... Um, increase the, the, the light that is being shown in our lives. I like lots of light. I, I, I will always put the very maximum wattage bulb in, in my lights that I can do. I, it's just part of my, I want it to be so bright. Um, I want that with God too. Because I, I know this, God's light dispels darkness. See, where God's light is present, the darkness of, of the enemy cannot be there. And so, um, I don't want things hidden anymore. I try to have regular conversations with my wife about even areas, um, for me, that are areas of weakness. And I've struggled with things throughout my life. Things that my parents, my dad introduced into my life years ago. And, um, Man, I'd love to tell you that I, I've never struggled with pornography. But my dad introduced it into my life when I was uh, very young. You know, it was always part of our home. And on display everywhere. And so, throughout my life, I, I'm constantly dealing with this. You know what the sad thing is? There are images that still come to my mind that I haven't seen in 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Let me see, I'm 53. It may be, I don't know. I had to think how old I was for a minute. So, but there are images that I've, I can see from, I see the times that my dad and mom were fighting still. Those images still are present. And so I have to continually, and that's where I start understanding more about what God's Word says, to think on these things, things that are good and pure and lovely, these things that, are, that are, are right and true, these things that when we think on them, they begin to reshape our minds. We have to illuminate the hidden things of darkness. I was directed to Proverbs 6, uh, verses 16 through 19 as I was preparing this week says this, there are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things He detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. Now, these are things that the Lord hates. And, and we should have nothing to do with them in our lives. And so as we begin to shed God's light on our lives, these things are things that we should start looking at. Do we have any part in telling lies? Do we have any part in haughty eyes? Eyes that are looking to things that we should not look to. 
Are we bearing false witness? Are we sowing discord? When it says to sow discord in a family, do you realize that you are in the family of God? And so if you intentionally sow discord within the body of Christ, God says he hates discord. He hates it when we bring division in the body. Church, we have a responsibility to apply God's word to our lives and align it in such a way that God will look at us in a way that says, well done. Are we willing to admit that we may be hurting ourselves because of our unwillingness to rend our heart and allow God to see our brokenness? I'd like to tell you you're only hurting yourself. But the truth is, you're hurting your family when you choose to operate and stay in these positions that don't allow God's truth to be fully evident in your life. The second thing that we're going to cover, I already mentioned it early, is this whole process of repentance, to repent. Allowing sorrow to have a place is our first step, but we need to learn the next step, which is repentance is about turning away from our sins. It's about a 180-degree turn where we're going the opposite direction. Somebody once said it's about a 360-degree turn. No, that means you're going the same direction. <laughs> You've just turned all the way in a circle, and, and now you're still going the same way. And it, it, may have wore, it may have made you dizzy for a moment, but you've not accomplished anything. And it's not about a 90-degree turn because what that means is it's still taking you, it's not taking you away from the thing that was a problem. It is 180 degrees where you're completely going away from it. Your back is to that thing that is creating sin and you're going intentionally, intentionally away from it. We need to turn away from those things that are sinful. It is a conscious decision to not go back. Now, the topic of sin in the believer's life really, I think, falls into two specific areas. Sins of omission and sins of commission. Sins of omission are those in which we knew we should have done something good but refused. A sin of omission is something where we knew something good to do. We, we knew the right thing to do, but we didn't do it. A sin of commission is a sin we take action to commit, whether in thought or word or deed. And that means we, we actually do something to someone. One of them is avoiding doing something that is right. The other one is, in, is intentionally doing something that is wrong. You see the difference? One is avoidance of doing the right thing, which God says is still sin. <laughs> the other one is intentionally doing something. So if, if I see Constance picking on Elaine, and I don't do anything to get in, you know, to support her, that is um, a sin of omission, where I've chosen to not get involved. <laughs> I don't want to get involved. How many of you have ever heard someone say that? I don't want to get involved. <laughs> but, but we're supposed to be get involved. We're supposed to be there to support one another. 
Now, for Constance, hers is the sin of commission. She is intentionally deciding to do something to Elaine. Do you see the difference? Now, I, Elaine and Constance sit together every week. They love each other. They're just my example because they sit together every week. So I want you to understand, God holds us responsible for both. The things that we choose not to do that we know we should, and the things that we are doing that we absolutely know we shouldn't be doing. You know, we, we can, there is no free rides when it comes to sin. Okay? There is always a consequence. There is always a pain that comes. Now, you may not feel the pain today. You may, the pain may come in weeks ahead. The pain may come through your children. I grew up a very violent life, and I never, I never repented of that lifestyle. You know, we were brutal. We were, you know, we were mean. We, we hurt and hit and, you know, broke and, you know, we, that's, just, that's what I grew up under. And I never thought anything about that when I came to be a Christian. Until, uh, I've shared this story before, you know, one time we were living a uh, house in South Dakota and um, some neighborhood bullies were picking on a little kid and, and Tori and Matthew picked up shovels and took off after them. Now these kids had never seen that in their lifetime. That, that is a way to deal with a problem. But that's how we dealt with a problem. When, you, when I was growing up, man, the person who carried the biggest stick had a bigger chance of coming out of it. So, but they, and I started realizing that there are generational things that come down the line, even though they never knew the, that lifestyle. And so we began to confront some things that were part of our lifestyle. Things, you know, things that we did that we know were sin that we never dealt with. And, and we still are in this active process when the Holy Spirit, listen to me, church, do you realize the Holy Spirit is the greatest advocate you have in this world? That when he brings something to your mind, it's for a reason. <laughs> and if the Holy Spirit brings to your mind a situation, something in your life, it means that he wants you to do something with it. Because he does not ever just do that to make you feel bad. If he reminds you of something, it means there's something that you need to deal with today because there is, going, there is something that is trying to attack your family to bring about a downfall. Let the Holy Spirit do his job. Let him do the thing where he can support you and encourage you and strengthen you to a place that you're able to stand stronger. The final piece of this challenge is comfort. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Once we have allowed ourselves to process our sins appropriately and we have repented, God wants us to enter into a time of healing. Comfort in this passage deals with the process of healing that must take place so that we don't walk around as wounded disciples. 
God doesn't want us to walk around wounded. Do you know that a, a wounded animal is a dangerous animal? That it can hurt you and more people that, because it's wounded than it could probably before it, when it was healthy? How many of you have ever said something because you were hurt to someone else? Yeah. We wound other people. Hurting people hurt people. And so God wants us to be healed. When He confronts us with the areas of sin in our life and we repent of those, He wants us to go through a process of healing, of comforting. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, David had been confronted with his sin with Bathsheba. And uh, the prophet had come to him. And, and after this process of confrontation, David... You know, there's a sickness that comes on, this, on the baby. And David, in his time of grieving, in verse 19, presents this for us. David noticed that the servants were whispering behind his back and realized that the boy must have died. He asked the servants, is the boy dead? Yes, they answered, he's dead. David got up from the floor, washed his face, combed his hair, put on fresh a fresh change of clothes, and went into the sanctuary and worshipped. Then he came home and asked for something to eat. They sat there, set it before him, and he ate. His servants asked him, What's going on with you? While the child was alive, you, fast, excuse me, you fasted and wept and stayed up all night. Now that he's dead, you get up and eat. Verse 22 says, While the child was alive, he said, I fasted and wept, thinking God might have mercy on me. And the child would live. But now that he's dead, why fast? Can I bring back him back now? I can go to him, but he can't come to me. The sins of David had brought him to a place of grieving. He had torn his clothes. He had, he had, uh, he had done all the processes of grieving for his sin, hoping that it would bring about a change in the things that were going on. But when it was done, he went into the, the sanctuary for a time of worship to be comforted, to be healed. And God refreshed him. And David went on to do great things for God. The sins of David brought him tremendous pain. But there came that point that he had to understand that he had to get up and cleanse himself and enter into a time of comfort. This morning as we were worshiping today, um, there was a point of time that I just, I was quiet in the midst of our worship, experiencing the, the healing process of God, the comfort of God. Um, I think it's something we have to daily enter into because there are things that want to come upon us that will cause us to react or act in a way that is not pleasing to God. So, as God brings something to my mind, uh, there are still times um, I deal with anger. You know, I have moments that I just want to go around and punch things. Now, I'm smarter. When I was young, I just punched things and hurt myself. Anybody do that? Okay. I'm smarter now. Um, I, I have anger and I just want to go out and punch something. I don't do it because I know the pain that I will inflict on myself. But that doesn't mean that I don't still deal with anger in the same way. I just know that I, in the midst of my anger, I can go to God, say, God, I'm angry. 
And so God begins to break down my anger about what, what the base, what the core problem is. And, and many times it's pride. Many times it's because I, I didn't get my way in a situation, and so I got angry. And so I, I learned to humble myself. And then there comes a point where I have to bring, go to a place where God can bring healing. And so church, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what you need to implement in your life in this verse, how it needs to apply to you. But I do believe God's word is very clear that this is something that we should apply to our lives daily. That the process, that our sins should affect us to the point that they bring grief and sorrow into our lives, that we have violated God. That we have broken the heart of God because we've done wrong. And if we want to get closer to God, we have to be willing to let His light shine in our lives and, and uncover the things that are pushing us away from Him. And so, I'm going to pray. And I'm asking you to pray. Asking you to invite God to shine His light in your life. Because I can pray that God would break my heart for the sins of my church and my community and, and my nation, and, and God will move on me and I'll be able to do that. But when you do it and you ask God to shine that light directly in your life, then God will allow you to address things that only you can address to draw you closer to Him. We're just going to spend a moment in... Uh, in silence here and just uh, take time to examine your life. I want to invite you if there is something that the Holy Spirit has brought to your mind I'm going to invite you just to find a place to pray to grieve over your sin 
to repent, to experience God's comforting presence, His healing. I'm just going to spend a few more moments in this.
invite you, church, that throughout this week, as the Holy Spirit brings to your mind, as you deal with these different things that the Holy Spirit will reveal, that you, uh, you bring in someone into the conversation, that you don't keep them to yourself. The enemy would love you to keep them quiet. God wants you to take the authority and the power that the enemy has away. So, praise God. I invite you to, you know, just allow that thought process and that mentality to be something that becomes part of who you are. As you see the sins of a a nation go before us as you see the sins of yourself in your in your home deal with them confront them repent of them praise God we're going to pray and bless this offering and then I would like uh, I'm going to actually invite um, uh, all the parents that have toddlers to come up front and ask Seth to come up here because he's going to do a little announcement. But if you have a, a toddler with you in church right now, if you'd bring that toddler with you, so I think maybe just Hudson right now. Uh, so Molly, I think, is with uh, So you come on up here. But ushers come. We're going to pray over this offering, and then uh, we've got just a little announcement here. Father, thank you for this opportunity to give. I pray your blessing on this uh, offering. Uh, that it would be multiplied to meet the needs of your uh, church and help us to continue to do that which you've set before us. And uh, we ask for this in your name. Amen. Amen. I wanted you to have an example there. That's why I'm having Isaac bring Hudson up there. So uh, let me see here. Okay. Well, I didn't know I was going to talk. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> so I think what Pastor would like me to talk about, I kind of was speaking from the heart a little bit yesterday during a board meeting. We, uh, um, I want to welcome everybody in here to participate in our kids' ministry. Um, you know, of course we need help in kids' ministry, but that's not really the purpose. Um, I guess I was, this was maybe seven or eight years ago, I had uh, th- this old guy named David Hetherington came up to me and said, hey, let's get some lunch. He actually told, told Miss that he wanted to get some lunch with me. So we did that, and then he told me I should come and be part of the kids' ministry. He was a, um, a guy that did kids' ministry at our church, and I said, there's no way. I've, I haven't read the entire Bible. I don't know all the, as JP would say, uh, Christianese. <laughs> you know, I, I just I don't know how to teach kids. This is not my thing. I had no desire to do it, and he said, just come and hang out, you know, and so I did. Um, after a couple years of doing that or maybe just even two years I'd never been baptized as an adult and so I did that in front of the congregation and I got out of that tub and I baptized my son which was one of the greatest well <laughs> yeah you understand it was a great moment right and so teaching these kids was not it was I mean it's great to teach kids right it's it's wonderful to invest and to share Christ with our with our young ones but it's a ministry to to all of you too you know so, so come, come be part of our, our ministries. You're more than welcome to come and hang out with Miss and I on uh, Wednesday nights, but just be ready, you know. It's, 
It's a ministry to you. It's, it'll change your life. It's an opportunity to just grow so much closer with God. I mean, we appreciate the help, but this is a great opportunity for you to grow too. So you're more than welcome. Christina would welcome you on Sunday mornings, and you're welcome in the nursery, but just be ready to get moved. So I, you're, you're invited. Please come. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, brother. Now, we, uh, we have a great problem to have. How many of you know that there's some problems that are not good to have and some problems that are good to have? One of our good problems is we have a lot of young families with toddlers. Now, I am a grandfather at heart, period. I love, um, so I, I've made a decision on Wednesday nights, um, I'm going to start volunteering in our nursery um, because we have, we have four toddlers at least, um, that can use someone to uh, interact with them on a Wednesday night because their parents are involved in classes, teaching. Um, it's a great thing. Um, our Wednesday night program continues to grow. On, our, on Wednesday night, um, you know, we could have 20 kids downstairs in our, in our kids' area. Um, adults have been averaging about 15 to 20. Um, youth will have, you know, another 10 to 15, and then college and career has ones. And so we need workers, and we need, Sunday, we need workers for Sunday school on Sunday, or for nursery on Sundays. And there are three or four of you that are volunteering there, and we so appreciate you um, for serving in those areas. It's, it is an area of service. Uh, it has transformed Seth's life. You know, I'm telling you, you know, that, it was that moment that began to take Seth's life down a whole different path. And so... If you have an opportunity to invest in, in kids, you have an opportunity to invest in a child uh, to help them to understand the love of God like never before. And so we're not trying to manipulate you or pressure you. Um, we're gonna, there's a couple that have already volunteered, but if you would like to serve uh, in an area on Wednesday night to help serve in the nursery uh, you know, once a month, um, fantastic. We'd lo- I'd love you to come talk to me. If you'd like to serve and help out on Sunday mornings. I know no one ever wants to miss church. I understand. I thoroughly enjoy our Wednesday night adult class that Jerry and Willie put together. I I love our class. But what I love more is that other people are able to get involved and do some things. So I'm going to go up there and serve because I can't do it on Sunday. And and so I'm going to serve on Wednesdays. So, you know, we all can serve somewhere. Um, But I just want you to know, if you're not serving in an area, it may not be nursery. You may not be a kid person. Listen, I understand not everybody is a kid person. But if you're not serving somewhere, pray and ask God where you, and then do something. Don't just pray and ask God where he wants you to serve. Do something about it. Because God's not going to force you to do anything. You have to actually put some feet to it, okay? Can you do that? Pray with me about that. I am so excited for all the kids we have and all the toddlers we have. I love babies in church. But let me make that. I like real babies, not babies that are Christians who haven't grown up in their faith. That's a whole other sermon that I'm not going to get into today. But, but I love having... Um, 
toddlers and, ch- and children in church. And so uh, I have a good time with Hudson. And during our staff meeting the other day, um, I got Amalia to come over and just play with me. Her and I had a great time. Um, I was building this reputation so that she was ready for me up in the nursery. You know, you got to ease into kids' life. And so, uh, but I just want you to be praying about that. Um, we just need uh, individuals that are willing to say, listen, here am I, send me, Lord. So, all right, God bless you. Love on one another. Worship team is going to be having a, a meeting downstairs in the fellowship hall, right? Fellowship hall right after. And so mingle for a little bit, but then prepare yourself to uh, um, go down for your meeting. God bless you.